we started in, in week one talking about the Lord is my shepherd. When we say this, the Lord is my shepherd, we're not just talking about some little boy out, outside watching sheep. We're talking about the king of the universe, the creator of all, saw mankind and saw that they needed a leader in their life. And so what he did is he said, I will go and I will lead them and I will lead them like a shepherd leads sheep. How many know that's pretty intense? And especially understanding that biblically, the shepherds and how crucial they were to society and, and uh, with the temple and with sacrifices and just the value that sheep carry. One of the things that we talked about is, is, is the livelihood of sheep. Although they are extremely efficient, their efficiency is limited to how well they are led, how well they're a shepherd. And we talked about how Jesus is a shepherd. He's not a cattle driver. Right? God doesn't, God doesn't drive his sheep. He leads his sheep. Right? Religion will drive you. Jesus will lead you. And he says this. He says, I shall not be in want. What does that mean? That means that we won't have any need. That you won't wake up tomorrow going, what am I going to eat? Because you are following a good shepherd. And we talked in John chapter 10, where Jesus lays out this whole parable that we, we, we all know John 10, 10, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly or life to its full. The Greek word right there actually means super abundant. So Jesus, did, there, there's no scripture in the Bible that says God will just give you enough to survive. There's not one scripture in the Bible that says that. If you can show it to me, then I'll get up here next week and I'll say, you know, actually that's true. No, no, no. Scripture, scripture, God never answers human need according to human need, but according to heaven's resource. Right? It's all your needs according to his riches and glory. Heaven's resource, not yours. So we shall not be in want. That life is promised to us that we would have life and life more abundantly. How do we find that life? By following the good shepherd. And it says this, Jesus said, I am the gate in John chapter 10. And one of the things that we talked about is the way that sheep gates were built in those days, the way that sheep pens were built in those days, is they were actually a, like if you could picture a rock circle. A rock wall circle, and it's got rocks all around it, and then there's an opening there. It doesn't actually have a gate there. It's just an opening. And so this was a sheep pen. And so what the shepherd would do is at night he would come in, and he would lead his sheep into the sheep pen, and he would stand in that opening. And he would actually become physically the gate of that sheep pen. So when Jesus says, if you want to be my sheep, then you have to come through me. I am the gate. Everybody that comes in can be a part of the fold. And in there, there's protection, there's provision, but the greatest thing is there's ownership. That when we're in his sheep pen, when we're part of his herd, we can say, the Lord is my shepherd. He's the gate. He's standing right there. And ain't nothing going to come in and ain't nothing going to go out unless it comes through Jesus. He is the good shepherd. He is the gate. Then we talked about this, verse 2, week 2. He makes me lie down in green pasture. Now, not dried up, you know, I grew up in West Texas. Not West Texas brown grass pasture. It's actually lush green pasture. And then it says this, he leads me beside the still or the quiet waters. What is he talking about there? Well, in order for sheep to be able to rest, sheep have to be nourished. They can't sleep unless they're full. How many of y'all sleep better on a full stomach, right? You go eat lunch, right? You go have some 
some burritos and some enchiladas, right, for lunch, and lots of chips, all those carbs get in your body, and then what happens at about 2 o'clock? <laughs> Time for a siesta, right? And uh, so most of us, we don't get that. We just have to, you know, just kind of grind through it, right? Drink some coffee or a five-hour energy or a Red Bull or something to get in our body to get to deal with all those carbs. Sheep just sleep better when they're well-fed and well-protected. And one of the things, lead me beside still waters, is that sheep would drink anything, right? They would drink from stagnant pools that would contain diseases. But he, but he, the good shepherd, leads us beside still waters. If it's rushing waters, first of all, the noise would scare the sheep because they're just skittish, Right? They freak out. They're, if they fall in the water, they could drown very easily because they can't swim, and they have wool that would get full of water and weigh them down. And so the sh- good shepherd leads them beside still waters, waters that can nourish them and refresh them, and they can be rested in the green pastures. Then we got into this thing, verse 3, that says, He restores my soul. And many of us have seen pictures, and I didn't bring my pictures with me this morning, but one of the things that happens with with sheep many times is a sheep could fall over on his side or lay down on his side. And because his wool hasn't been trimmed or his diet hasn't been great, then what can happen is he can actually fall over on his back and he can't get up. And some of y'all, maybe two or three of y'all are old enough to remember in the 80s, they had this commercial that said, I have fallen and I can't get up. I'm falling. And that's what happened with sheep. They would fall on their back, and they would just meh, meh, and they would, like, kick their legs. And some of y'all seen this on video games, and they can't do anything. And this is actually called being downcast when a sheep does that. So when David said, why so downcast all my soul, what he's saying is my soul, my emotional mind, the the state I'm in on the inside is downcast. I've fallen, and I can't get up. Right? So what could happen when a sheep's laying there is his limbs can go numb and he could actually die of suffocation like that. But what the good shepherd does is he comes, and they actually call it this, restores the sheep. Right? They actually call this in shepherding, they call this restoring the sheep where they go and they pick the sheep up, and if they've got too much wool, they just buzz it on down. If their diet's bad and they're fat and out of shape, they work them a little bit. Right, And he gets them to a place so they can walk on paths of righteousness. Are you with me? Some of you, you are downcast in your soul. Why so downcast? Oh, my soul, David said. Then he said this, put your hope in God. So when you're discouraged, when you feel downcast, when you feel like you've fallen and you can't get up, you just speak to your soul just like David did and say, why so downcast? What is wrong with you? Right? Put your hope in God. He is the good shepherd, and he will restore you. Then we got into verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The valley of the shadow of death was, you know, not just a great rap song that we could rap about, or however it goes. I'm not a rapper for good reasons. And so, uh, yeah, I'll never do that again. And so uh, we talked about that, how dark and how gloomy. I mean, I mean it's not, not just the valley of death, but it's like the shadow. I mean, it's like a dark place. And there was actually a place in in Israel, in ancient Israel, there, there was this path where, where robbers and thieves would hang out in these tombs, and predators were hanging out there. And whenever 
whatever, you walked through there, your, your life was in danger. And many times when we go, when we're going through one place, and how many of you know that God doesn't call us to the desert? Sometimes he calls us to the wilderness, and there's a great difference between the wilderness and the desert. The wilderness is a wild place, but there's still life. The desert, there's no life there. So God never calls you to the desert. He may call you to the wilderness, but he never calls you to the desert. He called you out of the desert. Right? Come on. And so that, that was the deserted place. There is no deserted place in Jesus. Jesus doesn't desert you. He deserts you like ice cream. That's a kind of des- All right. So he said, I walk through the valley of shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. So we have great confidence. We can go through the darkest seasons of our lives, and we can go with other people through the darkest seasons of their life and not be afraid. Why? Because he is with us. Because we know when we have the revelation of the good shepherd, when we know how good of a leader he is, we don't have to freak out. Right? How many of y'all have been through some dark stuff, and you're like, ah, Lord, and and this is my prayer all the time, Lord, help me trust you. Right? I'm like, okay, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you. You're my good shepherd. Here we go. It's dark. It's dark in here. I'm scared. Right? But I don't have to fear. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be scared because he is with us. Then it says this, his rod and and your staff, they comfort me. His rod and his staff. And when we talk about the rod, many times we think of the rod as as for correction, right? But this isn't that kind of rod. A a shepherd would have a, a staff, which is for his leadership, and then in his other hand, he would have a rod, which is for his protection. So what the rod was used for, it wasn't used for spanking the sheep. It was used for beating off enemies. How do you find comfort by getting spanked? Now, there's great, there's great comfort in knowing that God will discipline us and God will discipline us. But in this psalm, he is not talking. The, the purpose of the rod is not for disciplining the sheep. The purpose of the rod is just like what David talked about is whenever he said the in First uh, Samuel chapter uh, 17, whenever he goes and he's about to fight Goliath, he's like, I take Goliath because I saw Goliath and he was, or I saw the lion and I saw the bear and I took my club or rod, the same thing, a shepherd's rod, and he beat down the line, it says he grabbed him by his beard. Now, this is a shepherd boy, right? He's a boy, and it, it says this about David, that he went and he grabbed the lion by the beard and beat him with a stick. That's intense. If I saw a lion, I would run, right? I'd be using the stick to knock somebody else down so, I could, so they would eat them and not me. But no, 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 not good shepherds. That's not what they do. And if David, just a little shepherd boy, can protect his, compared to you, meaningless flock, then how good of a good shepherd is Jesus to come and smash every enemy that would come against you? And how many you know he already did it with a stick? He already did it on the cross. So his rod is for protection, but his staff is for his leadership. And so there's great comfort in knowing that he is leading me. And you know what? If I kind of get off the path a little bit, he'll put that, he'll, he'll, he'll stick that staff right there so I don't walk over here. hope I don't hurt you, Benny. And it was just kind of boom. No, don't go over here. Don't go over here, Jaden. No, 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 no. You stay right in there. You stay right in your lane. I'm going to make sure you do that. And if you go too far, I'll use the crook on that staff to pull you back in. I'll, I'll, I'll lead you in. I'll do it by my spirit. And then verse 5. It says that he prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. 
We talked about keeping our fork out, right? And so when the enemy comes, listen, when the enemy comes, understand this, God has a meal for you. When it gets hard, when it gets difficult, Jesus, the good shepherd, has something for you to eat. So whenever it starts getting all dark and all hard and difficult, don't go, Facebook, this is how bad my life is. No, 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 no. You go, I got my fork ready, God. Where's the meal in this? Because you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So when it's hard, whenever I'm being attacked, I can eat. Y'all all right? And he says this, and we talked about that, keep fork in hand. Just remember that. I wish I would have brought my instrument today, my fork. Keep fork in hand. When the enemy comes, get your fork out. Well, so I can stab the devil? No, no, no. Jesus already took care of that so you can eat from the presence of the good shepherd. What do you have for me, Lord? Right? <laughs> Come on. Hey, stop that. All right. Then it says this, he anoints my head with oil. One of the enemies that, that sheep would, would face is they would face these nasal flies and the bot flies. And what they do is they fly on the, you know, you guys have seen livestock before. They have all these like gnats and stuff. Well, they would get like that. And so what would happen is a, is a nasal fly would actually crawl, crawl up in the nasal cavity of the sheep and, and like embed himself in the flesh inside his skull, basically, and would go in there, and then what would happen is it would irritate the sheep so much as these as they were breeding inside his head, and so what would happen is the sheep would, like, start banging his head on stuff and, and rolling around and freaking out and running around and being all scared and trippy, and sometimes the sheep could actually kill themselves by banging their head up against a rock to deal with all these things that are going on inside their head. But what would happen is the is a shepherd would see his sheep and he could see that they'd be irritated, so he would go and he'd bring them in and he'd say, "Come on, come over here. Let me deal with those things that are going on inside your head." Come on, and he'd pull them in real close, and he would get this oil and he began to pour it on the sheep, anointing his head with oil and rubbing it in, and it would kill off the flies, it would kill off the larvae and the things that have developed inside of him, and it would kill off those things, and it would also prevent them from ever coming back again. And some of you, you have mental issues. Now, by saying that, I'm not saying that you're clinically described. Maybe you are, but you, you've said it before, and we talked about this a few minutes ago. You've said it before, what's wrong with me? Why do I stop thinking like that? People are like, why are you talking to yourself? I'm not talking, I'm talking to my soul. It's, it's, I am talking to myself, right? You might not want to do that in front of anybody, or, you know, they might, they might want to pour some oil on you. And so, but so many times we get this stuff like going on in our head. Maybe it's a, a thought pattern, or maybe it's an irritation, or maybe it's something that's bugging you. And what Jesus wants to do is bring the oil of his spirit and anoint your head with oil and get rid of all the junk, all these parasites, these enemies that are clouding your judgments, that are causing you to make foolish decisions, that are causing you to live without peace. This is what he says, though. He says, it's not just enough oil to deal with me, but my cup actually runs over. So we always have a table. And we always have oil pouring. So it's like, it's not about, you know, we used to sing songs like this in church. Here's my cup, Lord. Fill it up, Lord. Right? I don't even remember how the song goes. It was so bad. And so the mentality is I'll come to church, I'll get my cup full, and then I'll go back out and I'll pour it out. 
somewhere, right? And then I'll come back to Jesus. But the thing is, is heaven, the, the faucet doesn't get turned off from heaven. It's just oil. And it's our job just to get up under it. And then when it gets, when we get full, whenever our issues get dealt with, it just kind of pours out of us. And it actually starts healing those around us. It starts helping those around us. Verse 6. So surely goodness and mercy follow us. Last week we talked about this, that most of us, we live our lives pursuing goodness, right? Pursuing mercy, which can be interpreted loving kindness. What can I do for more likes? What can I do for more approval from people? What can I do to make me feel better? And we chase this, right? We spend tons of money every year on entertainment while we're searching for the good, searching for the good. But can I tell you today, when you're in the care of the good shepherd, you don't have to chase the good. You don't have to chase love. Love chases you. Goodness and mercy will follow you because you're following the source of goodness and mercy. So you don't have to chase it. It chases you. The Hebrew word there, actually one of the words is pursuit. It pursues you. It's hunting you down. So stop hunting for goodness and mercy and let it hunt you down. (laughs) Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Not on days and off days, right? Not Sundays and Wednesdays, we used to say. People used to go to church on Wednesdays. Isn't that crazy? Twice a week? We went like three times. That was like the minimum. Wow. All the days. All the days of your life. For the believer that's rooted in Jesus, there are no seasons of unfruitfulness. Every season is a fruit-bearing season. That's why Jesus cursed the fig tree. It wasn't, even, it wasn't even the season for the fig tree to have fruit on it. And Jesus is like, you should have fruit. What was Jesus doing? He's making a point saying, when you're in me, you will always bear fruit. We will always bear fruit, even on the bad days. What comes out of us is goodness and mercy, not, ah, right? Well, you don't know what they did to me. Goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy. How many of y'all, I can tell you right now, can I tell you this week? I mentioned this last week about dealing with clients. And I do, you know, I have my graphic design business. And I deal with clients. And so I've got to remember to let good, goodness and mercy flow, right? Because, you know, that's what happens. But I was telling you guys about it, And this week it was challenged again. I had to remind myself, here I am working for this client who's being kind of a pain. And I'm dealing with them. And I have to let goodness and mercy flow. Not be like, well, if you don't like it, Right? It don't work that way. Goodness and mercy flow out of me. More than Josh Brown and his personality and the way he is, goodness and mercy flow. What if I told you you don't need to be the way you are? Jesus did everything to fix everything that's a dysfunction in you. He'll love you. He'll accept you, but he'll change you too. There's more scripture about transformation than there is just about tolerating where you're at. That's what I, I want, transformation. I don't want to act like Josh Brown acts. He makes bad choices. So I'll let goodness and mercy flow. 
Then he says this statement, and, and this is where we're going to finish today. I'm going to, I'm going to, because we didn't really dig into this too much. So I want to dig into it for just a moment. Then we're going to do something a little bit different today. He finishes up with this statement that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, when David says that, he's talking about God's presence, that the, where, the place where God dwells. The great shepherd, David. The greatest accomplishments was not leading sheep, although he did it well. It wasn't defeating giants. It wasn't leading victorious armies. It was not his great leadership or even the fact that the star of David is still today on the flag of Israel. His greatest accomplishment was a dream that he had in his heart that he imparted to his son, a dream that God would have a permanent dwelling place. David had what we call Solomon's temple. Some people actually call it David's temple. Now, this is before Jesus came, right? This is what Jesus got rid of, but this was a pattern that God had given. Actually, David David went to God for it, and I'm going to share that with you in just a minute. See, David's ambition wasn't to be a shepherd. He was a shepherd. He was very good at it. David had one ambition on his life, one how many know that he was very successful? This was his ambition. Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing. Just one thing. Just one thing. This is what I want, Lord. If you went to the Lord, if the Lord was here right now physically, you could see him because he is here today. But if you could physically see him and he could say, what do you want me to do? This is what David said. I just want you to do one thing. Let me be right here in your presence forever. Most of us would have a list of about 8,000 things, right? I know I would, but this is the thing I love about David. He boils it down into one thing. One thing. One. God, this one thing that I ask, this is what I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, forever. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. The New Living Translation says this, when it says the gaze on the beauty of the Lord, he says, delighting in his perfections. I love that. That I look at Jesus and I see how good and how perfect he is. And I delight that. I delight in that. I delight. Some of you got bored today during worship because we went a little longer than we normally do. Some of you got bored. David was like, oh, yeah, man, we haven't even scratched the service yet. This is just the intro, right? I just got in the door here. You know, when da- you know, what, you know what David is remembered for in Scripture? You know what he is most remembered for? One who had a heart that longed after God. And it wasn't, he wasn't that good of a guy. David was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He killed one of the most honorable men in scriptures. It says this, that when when David slept with Bathsheba, she got pregnant. So Uriah came in, her husband. He shows up. David's in the palace, right? Uriah shows up, and he's like, oh, my gosh, go, go sleep with your wife. So everybody will think it's your baby, right? And so what happens is Uriah 
It says this about him, that he called him off the battle lines. It says he slept at the door of the palace. That's a man right there. Did not even go home and enjoy his wife, which he had every right to. But it says that he slept. He had a mission to protect the king. Man, there's a sermon in that. And David sent him to the front of the battle lines so he would die. So David's secrets wouldn't be found out. Even though he did all that, even though he did all that, he still died with a heart that longed after God. Why? Because even though he had short fallings and even though he had mistakes, one thing I ask, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that I may gaze upon his perfections. Man, that's why he had a heart that longed after God. Second Samuel chapter one, chapter Second uh, Samuel chapter seven, verse one. When King David was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan. Now Nathan is a prophet. Oh, this is it. Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, "I am living." Here's David. I am living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But the same night, the Lord came to Nathan, the prophet, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord declared. This is so good. Are you the one who built a house for me to live in? I've never lived in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this day. I've always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. Yet no matter... Where I have gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israel's tribe leaders, the shepherds of my people Israel, the leaders. I have never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? Now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be a leader of my people Israel. I mean, you know, David never put the staff down. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth. And I will provide a homeland for my people in Israel, planting them a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past, starting from the time I appoint judges to rule my people of Israel. And I will give you rest from your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. And this is where Solomon came from. This is where Jesus came from. A dynasty. Why? Because David said, David asked God for something God never asked. God never said, build me, who will build me a temple? David said, God, I want to build you a temple. Here I am in this beautiful palace. You're out there in a tent. I want to prepare a place for God to dwell. Can I tell you that Jesus the great shepherd prepared a place for God to dwell. And that place for God to dwell is you and I. He prepared us to be a place where God could dwell. Amen. Aren't you grateful for that? David says this, Psalm 24, verse 7. Lift up your heads, all you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory come in. Listen, just as Jesus is the gate for the sheep, we as humans are the gate for Jesus. You are a gate. You're a doorway for people 
to come to Jesus. You are. It's not the church. It is the church, but not a church building. It's not an organizational flow chart. It's the people of God that said, yes, Lord, I will be a dwelling place. And so what God does is he uses you to lead people to Jesus. Our scene can change where we live, where we work, but there's an everlasting scene that we long to build a place for God to dwell. This is our desire. How many of the God could never be confined to a temple? Really, the temple was not built for God. It was really built for man to go and meet with God, not God to meet with man, because God was already meeting with man. So it was really a place so men could say, I'm not going to do anything, men and women, so I'm not going to do anything else, I'm just going to go and seek God. This is what I'm going to do. That's why we have this. But we are the temples. How many of you know that God went mobile again? When they built the temple, the only place that God moved on the earth was in the temple, da da da, da. prophets would come in here, da da da, da. And then what happens? Jesus went mobile again. He gave us the Holy Spirit. Now, now, again, God is mobile. He's looking for a place to dwell. He's looking for a place to expand his dominion. We are the ones that will allow him to do that. Lift up your heads, oh, you gates. That's what we do during worship. You know what we're doing during worship? We're worshiping God. We're loving him. We're lifting up our heads. Oh, you gates. Why are we doing that? That the king of glory may come in. That the king of glory will come in and have dominion and have his residence in this place. That he would come, that he would dwell, that he would impart lives, impact lives, that he would impart his spirit to more people so that we're just like portals all over our city of people just releasing the glory of God. That's why God's got you at your workplace. That's why God's got you in your home, in your family, in your school, wherever you're at. You're just there as a gateway for, for God's glory to come and fill the earth.